Chapter Three of the Fundamental Doctrines of the Christian Faith by R. A. Torrey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Chapter Three, the Christian Conception of God, the Infinite Perfection and Unity of God. God is light. First John chapter one verse five. God is love. First John chapter four verses eight and sixteen with god all things are possible matthew chapter nineteen verse twenty six his understanding is infinite psalm one hundred and forty seven verse five we are to consider again today the christian conception of god we saw a week ago today that god is spirit that god is a person and that god has a personal interest and an active hand in the affairs of men today that he sustains, governs, and cares for the world he created, and that he shapes the whole present history of the world. 1. The Infinite Perfection of God The next thing to be noted about the Christian conception of God is that God is perfect and infinite in all his intellectual and moral attributes and in power. First of all, fix your attention upon our first text, God is light, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. These three words form a marvelously beautiful and overwhelmingly impressive statement of the truth. They set forth the absolute holiness and perfect wisdom of God. The words need rather to be meditated upon than to be expounded. In him is no darkness at all. That is to say, in him is no darkness of error, no darkness of ignorance, no darkness of sin, no darkness of moral imperfection or intellectual imperfection of any kind. The three words god is light form one of the most beautiful one of the most striking and one of the most stupendous statements of truth that was ever penned to come to things more specific the god of the bible is omnipotent this great truth comes out again and again in the word of god one direct statement of this great truth especially striking because of the connection in which it is found occurs in jeremiah chapter thirty two verses seventeen and twenty seven Ah, Lord Jehovah, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power, and by thine outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for thee. Here it is Jeremiah who makes the statement, but in the twenty-seventh verse it is Jehovah himself who says, Behold, I am Jehovah, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? In Job chapter 42 verse 2 we read these words of Job, when at last he had been brought to see and to recognize the true nature of Jehovah. I know that thou canst do all things, and that no purpose of thine can be restrained. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, our Lord says, With God all things are possible. Taking these passages together, we are plainly taught by our Lord himself and by others that God can do all things, that nothing is too hard for him, that all things are possible with him. In a word, that God is omnipotent. A very impressive passage in the book of Psalms setting forth this same great truth is Psalm 33, verses 6 to 9. By the word of Jehovah were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathered the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear Jehovah. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Here we see God by the mere utterance of his voice bringing to pass anything that he desires to be brought to pass. 
we find this same lofty conception of god in the very first chapter of the bible that chapter that so many people who imagine themselves scholarly are telling us is outgrown and not up to date and yet which contains some of the sublimest utterances that were ever written unmatched by anything that any philosopher or scientist or platform orator is saying to-day the very first words of that chapter read in the beginning god created the heaven and the earth genesis chapter one verse one a description of the origin of things that has never been matched for simplicity sublimity and profundity and two verses further down in the third verse we read and god said let there be light and light was these words need no comment there is here a sublimity of thought in the setting forth of the omnipotence of god's mere word before which any truly intelligent and alert soul will stand in wonder and awe there is nothing in poetry or in philosophical dissertation ancient or modern that can for one moment be put in comparison with these sublime words over and over again the thought is brought out in the word of god that all nature is absolutely subject to god's will and word we see this for example in psalm 107 verses 25 to 29 for he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lifteth up the waves thereof they mount up to the heavens they go down again to the depths their soul melteth away because of trouble they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end then they cry unto jehovah in their trouble and he bringeth them out of their distresses he maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still another description of a similar character is found in nahum chapter one verses three to six jehovah is slow to anger and great in power and will by no means clear the guilty jehovah hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet he rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry and drieth up all the rivers bashan languisheth and carmel and the flower of lebanon languisheth the mountains quake at him and the hills melt and the earth is upheaved at his presence yea the world and all that dwell therein who can stand before his indignation and who can abide in the fierceness of his anger his wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken asunder by him what a picture we have here of the omnipotence and awful majesty of god not only is nature represented as being absolutely subject to god's will and word but men also are represented as being absolutely subject to his will and word for example we read in james chapter four verses twelve to fifteen one only is the lawgiver and judge even he who is able to save and to destroy but who art thou that judgeth thy neighbour come now ye that say to-day or to-morrow we will go into this city and spend a year there and trade and get gain whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow what is your life for ye are a vapour that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away for that ye ought to say if the lord will we shall both live and do this or that happy is the man who voluntarily subjects himself to god's will and word but whether we voluntarily subject ourselves to god's will and word or not we are subject to his will and word whether or no the angels also are subject to his will and word hebrews chapter one verses thirteen and fourteen and even satan himself is although entirely against his own will absolutely subject to the will and word of god as is evident from job chapter one verse twelve and job chapter two verse six the exercise of god's omnipotence is limited by his own wise and holy and loving will 
god can do anything but will do only that which infinite wisdom and holiness and love dictate this comes out for example in isaiah chapter fifty nine verses one and two behold jehovah's hand is not shortened that it cannot save neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear but your iniquities have separated between you and your god and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear the god of the bible is also omniscient in first john chapter three verse twenty we read god knoweth all things turning to the old testament in psalm one hundred and forty seven verse five we read great is our lord and mighty in power his understanding is infinite the literal translation of the last clause of this passage is of his understanding there is no number in these passages it is plainly declared that god knoweth all things and that his understanding is infinite in job chapter thirty seven verse sixteen elihu the messenger of god is represented as saying that jehovah is perfect in knowledge along the same line in acts chapter fifteen verse eighteen we read known unto god are all his works from the beginning of the world the revised version makes a change in the translation of this verse but this change does not alter the sense of the truth here set forth that god knows all his works and all things from the beginning of the world known to him is everything from the most vast to the most minute detail in psalm one hundred and forty seven verse four we are told that he telleth the number of the stars for he knoweth them all by name while in matthew chapter ten verse twenty nine we are told that not a sparrow falleth to the ground without him the stars in all their stupendous magnitude and the sparrows in all their insignificance are all equally in his mind we are further told that everything has a part in his purpose and plan in acts chapter three verses seventeen and eighteen the apostle peter says of the crucifixion of our lord the wickedest act in all the history of the human race and now brethren i wot that in ignorance ye did it as did also your rulers but the things which god foreshadowed by the mouth of all the prophets that his christ should suffer he thus fulfilled in acts chapter two verse twenty three peter declared on the day of pentecost although the crucifixion of the lord jesus was the wickedest act in all history that nevertheless the lord jesus was delivered up by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of god according to the psalmist psalm seventy six verse ten god takes the acts of the wickedest men into his plans and makes the wrath of men to praise him and the remainder of wrath doth he restrain even the present war with all horrors and all its atrocities with all its abominations and all its nameless wickednesses was foreknown of god and taken into his own gracious plan of all the ages and he will make every event in this present war even the most shocking things designed by the vilest conspiracy of unprincipled men utterly unhuman and beastly men and devil-inspired men work together for good to those who love god for those who are called according to his purpose romans chapter eight verse twenty eight the whole plan of the ages not merely of the centuries but of the immeasurable ages of god and every man's part in it has been known to god from all eternity this is made very clear in ephesians chapter one verses nine to twelve where we read having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in him unto a dispensation of the fullness of the times to sum up all things in christ the things in the heavens and the things upon the earth in him i say in whom also we were made a heritage having been foreordained according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we should be to the praise of his glory 
we who before hoped in Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 to 9, we read, Wherefore, when ye read, ye can perceive my understanding in the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy prophets and apostles in the Spirit, to wit, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel, whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of that grace of God which was given me, according to the working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, was this grace given, to preach unto the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the dispensation of the mystery which from all ages has been hid in God who created all things. There are no afterthoughts with God. Everything is seen, known, purposed, and planned for from the outset. Well may we exclaim, Oh, the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out! Romans chapter 11, verse 33. God knows from all eternity what he will do in all eternity. God is also absolutely and infinitely holy. This is a point of central and fundamental importance in the Bible conception of God. It comes out in our first text. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. John, when he wrote these words, gave them as the summary of the message which we have heard from God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, in the vision of Jehovah which was given to Isaiah in the year that King Uzziah died, the seraphim, or burning ones, burning in their own intense holiness, are represented as standing before Jehovah with covered faces and covered feet, and constantly crying, Holy, holy, holy is Jehovah of hosts. And in First Peter chapter 1, verse 16, God cries to us, Be ye holy, for I am holy. This thought of the infinite and awe-inspiring holiness of God pervades the entire Bible. It underlies everything in it. The entire Mosaic system is built upon and about this fundamental and central truth. Its system of washings, the divisions of the tabernacle, the divisions of the people into ordinary Israelites, Levites, priests, and high priests, who were permitted different degrees of approach to God under strictly defined conditions, insistence upon sacrifices of blood as the necessary medium of approach to God, God's directions to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 verse 5, to Joshua in Joshua chapter 5 verse 15, the punishment of Uzziah in Second Chronicles chapter 26 verses 16 to 26, the strict orders to Israel in regard to approaching Sinai when Jehovah came down upon it, the doom of Korath, Dathan, and Abiram in Numbers chapter 16 verses 1 to 33, and the destruction of Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10 verses 1 to 3. All these were intended to teach, emphasize, and burn into the minds and hearts of the Israelites the fundamental truth that God is holy, unapproachably holy. The truth that God is holy is the fundamental truth of the Bible, of the Old Testament and the New Testament, of the Jewish religion and the Christian religion. It is the preeminent factor in the Christian conception of God. There is no fact in the Christian conception of God that needs more to be emphasized in our day than the fact of the absolute unqualified and uncompromising holiness of god that is the chief note that is lacking in christian science theosophy occultism buddhism new thought the new theology and all the base but boasted cults of the day 
that great truth underlies those fundamental doctrines of the bible the atonement by shed blood and justification by faith the doctrine of the holiness of god is the keystone in the arch of christian truth god is also love this truth is declared in one of our texts the words god is love are found twice in the same chapter first john chapter four verses eight and sixteen this truth is essentially the same truth as god is light and god is holy for the very essence of true holiness is love and light is love and love is light furthermore god is not only perfect in his intellectual and moral attributes and in power he is also omnipresent this thought of god comes out in both the old testament and the new in psalm 139 verses 7 to 10 we read whither shall i go from thy spirit or where shall i flee from thy presence if i ascend up into heaven thou art there if i make my bed in sheol behold thou art there if i take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me there is no place where one can flee from god's presence for god is everywhere this great truth is set forth in a remarkable way in jeremiah chapter twenty three verses twenty three and twenty four am i a god at hand saith jehovah and not a god afar off can any hide himself in secret places that i shall not see him saith jehovah do i not fill heaven and earth saith jehovah last week we saw that god has a local habitation that there is a place where he exists and manifests himself in a way in which he does not manifest himself everywhere but while we insist upon that clearly revealed truth we must also never lose sight of the fact that god is everywhere we find this same truth set forth by paul in his sermon to the epicurean and stoic philosophers on mars hill acts chapter seventeen verses twenty four to twenty eight the god that made the world and all things therein he being lord of heaven and earth dwelleth not in temples made with hands neither is served by men's hands as though he needed anything seeing he himself giveth to all life and breath and all things and he made of one every nation of men who dwell on the face of the earth having determined their appointed seasons and the bounds of their habitations for in him we live and move and have our being as certain even of your own poets have said for we are also his offspring from these passages we see that god is everywhere he is in all parts of the universe and near each individual in him each individual lives and moves and has his being he is in every rose and lily and blade of grass there is one other thought in the christian conception of god that needs to be placed alongside his omnipresence and that is his eternity god is eternal his existence has no beginning and will have no ending he always was always is and always shall be god is not only everywhere present in space he is everywhere present in time this conception of god appears constantly in the bible we are told way back in genesis chapter twenty one verse thirty three that abraham called on the name of jehovah the everlasting god in isaiah chapter forty verse twenty eight we read this description of jehovah hast thou not known hast thou not heard the everlasting god jehovah the creator of the ends of the earth fainteth not neither is weary there is no searching of his understanding here again he is called the everlasting god habakkuk in habakkuk chapter one verse twelve sets forth the same conception of god he says art not thou from everlasting o jehovah my god 
mine holy one the psalmist gives us the same representation of god in psalm 90 verses 2 and 4 before the mountains were brought forth or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world even from everlasting to everlasting thou art god for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night we have the same representation of god in the 102nd psalm verses 24 to 27 i said o my god take me not away in the midst of my days thy years are throughout all generations of old didst thou lay the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of thy hands they shall perish but thou shalt endure yea all of them shall wax old like a garment as a vesture shalt thou change them and they shall be changed but thou art the same and thy years shall have no end the very name of god his covenant name jehovah sets forth his eternity he is the eternal i am the one who is was and ever shall be see for example exodus chapter 3 verses 14 and 15 2 there is one god one more fact about the christian conception of god remains to be mentioned and that is there is but one god the unity of god comes out again and again in both the old testament and the new for example we read in deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 35 jehovah he is god there is none else beside him and in deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 we read hear o israel jehovah our god is one jehovah turning to the new testament in first timothy chapter 2 verse 5 we read there is but one god one mediator also between god and man himself man christ jesus and in mark chapter 12 verse 29 our lord jesus himself says hear o israel the lord our god the lord is one but we must bear in mind the character of divine unity it is clearly revealed in the bible that in this divine unity in this one godhead there is a multiplicity of persons this comes out in a variety of ways first of all the hebrew word translated one in these various passages denotes a compound unity not a simple unity see for example first corinthians chapter 3 verses 6 to 8 first corinthians chapter 12 verse 13 john chapter 17 verse 22 and 23 galatians chapter 3 verse 28 in the second place the old testament word most frequently used for god is a plural noun the hebrew grammarians and lexicographers tried to explain this by saying that it was the pluralis majestatis but the very simple explanation is that the hebrews in spite of their intense monotheism used a plural name for god because there is a plurality of persons in the one godhead more striking yet as proof of the plurality of persons in the one godhead is the fact that god himself uses plural pronouns in speaking of himself for example in the first chapter of the bible genesis chapter 1 verse 26 we read that god said let us make man in our image after our likeness and in genesis chapter 11 verse 7 he is further recorded as saying go to let us go down and there confound their language that they cannot understand one another's speech in genesis chapter 3 verse 22 we read and jehovah god said behold man is become as one of us to know good and evil and in that wonderful vision to which reference has already been made in which isaiah said jehovah we read this statement of isaiah's in isaiah chapter 6 verse 8 and i heard the voice of the lord saying whom shall i send and who will go for us then said i here am i send me 
another illustration of the plurality of persons in the one godhead in the old testament conception of god is found in zechariah chapter two verses ten to eleven where jehovah speaks of himself as sent by jehovah in these words sing and rejoice o daughter of zion for lo i come and i will dwell in the midst of thee saith jehovah and many nations shall join themselves to jehovah in that day and shall be my people and i will dwell in the midst of thee and thou shalt know that Jehovah of hosts has sent me unto thee. Here Jehovah clearly speaks of himself as sent by Jehovah, thus clearly indicating two persons in the deity. Another indication of the plurality of persons in the Godhead in the Old Testament conception of God is found in the fact that the angel of Jehovah in the Old Testament is at the same time distinguished from and identified with Jehovah. This same thought of the plurality of persons in the one Godhead is brought out in John chapter 1, verse 1, where we reach the climax of this thought. Here we are told in so many words, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We shall see later, when we come to study the deity of Christ and the personality and deity of the Holy Spirit, that the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit are clearly designated as divine beings, and at the same time distinguished from one another, and from God the Father. So it is clear that in the Christian conception of God, while there is but one God, there is a multiplicity of persons in the Godhead. In these two sermons on the Christian conception of God, we have very inadequately stated that conception. This conception of God runs through the whole Bible, from the first chapter of the book of Genesis to the last chapter of Revelation and this is one of the many marvelous illustrations of the divine unity of the book. How wonderful is that book, in that there is this unity of thought on this very profound doctrine pervading the whole book. It is a clear indication that the Bible is the word of God. There is in the Bible a profounder philosophy than is found in any human philosophy, ancient or modern, and the only way to account for it is that God himself is the author of this incomparable philosophy. What a wondrous God we have! How we ought to meditate upon his person! With what awe, and at the same time, with what delight, shall we come into his presence and bow before him in adoring contemplation of the wonder and beauty and majesty and glory of his being? End of chapter 3